What is good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host, Paul J. Long, coming to you all the way from the shop in KCK, my buddy Larry Perez's spot. You got to check it out. Ultimately, we are brought to you, as always, by our sponsor, Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle's got the duds for you. If you don't know about them, go to charliehustle.com. If you're looking for your first Charlie Hustle shirt, I got one for you. Fundamism.com. What's good? Meaningful interactions. Get out of the monotony of asking the same questions that everybody else is and ask, what's good? Fundamism.com to learn more. The gentleman on today's podcast is somebody that I've been trying to get on here for in excess of a year, an individual that I admire a great deal. Um, And to quote one of our mutual friends, is typically the smartest guy in any room. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to John McGraw. What's good, John? Paul, all kinds of stuff. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. That's a scary introduction. (laughs) Definitely not the smartest guy in the room most of the time, but I appreciate the compliment. Also the most humble guy in any room. So nicely done there. Hey, first question we start with every guest, John. What do you do for fun, sir? Golf. That is my 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 uh, my oasis, my fun, my peace. It's all well, usually happens on the golf course. Interestingly enough, uh, so as you know, because we kind of work in similar spaces mm-hmm. or at least have similar clients. Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of speaking, and as such, I ask this question: What do you do for fun? Quite often, and as I'm sure you're probably well aware, golf is something that comes up typically. And I always ask a follow up question: Are you good? <laughs> That's a relative relative term, right? So I, I'm good enough for, for me. Okay, I have very low expectations. <laughs> I haven't invested as much in the game of golf as I have football, so I, my expectations are low, which helps uh, me enjoy it a whole lot more. Heck yeah! So I could tell you that uh, the common response that I get to "Are you good?" is "Of course not." And then historically, what happens is I go golfing with these individuals, and I shoot my hundred plus, and they shoot their. 80, whatever. And then all of a sudden they understand that the term good is relative. So (laughs) I get that. So we have a mutual bud and uh, that gentleman kind of brought us together at a charity event, uh, Braden's Hope. Obviously, as you know, pediatric cancer is very near and dear to my heart, specifically Noah's Bandage Project. And we often support anybody that is willing to move the cause forward. And Braden's Hope has been somebody that we've connected with throughout the years. And Delise is absolutely amazing. But uh, Jessica Lilja is on the board, or at least was at one time, I believe she still is, for Braden's Hope. And as such, Ryan Lilja is somewhat active as well. And I believe you played with Ryan at K-State. Is that accurate? So we both played there. We just missed each other at K-State, but we got a couple seasons in together with the Chiefs. Okay, beautiful. So both football players, K-State ties, both played for the Chiefs. Uh, you actually went on to play for the New York Jets. Is that accurate? Correct. Yeah. Anybody else? And the Lions. And the Lions. Yeah. All right. We don't think about the Lions too kindly <laughs> around here. So, um, right. but so is that where you retired from the Lions? So the Chiefs, I retired from them. So three years with the Jets, two with the Lions, and my last five were here in Kansas City with the Chiefs. It's clearly clearly you could tell I've done my research for this. Right? <laughs> That's right. It's so not important. <laughs> you know what? What's funny about that is um, it is it's your story is important. But what I found about individuals like you and any individual that's great at something that people look up to, and I'm just going to use the term influencer or celebrity or you know anybody that's played a professional sport or has a million followers on Instagram, which isn't us or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, we hold these individuals in such, in such high regard 
that um, typically the interactions are based around what what people know about us, right. i.e. for you, is football. Right. And I got to believe that, um, I don't want to speak for you, but when people only talk to me about motivation or only talk to me about fundamentalism, it's great because it's what I'm passionate about, but the same token, like I want to know what else is good, what else is going on, what other people do for fun. So you are so much more than a football player, and that is just a, an added bonus of why you're on this podcast. Uh, but you did something um, that's, that is not necessarily unprecedented, but something that you've seen a lot of success in doing, and that's transitioning, leveraging your prowess on the football field into the business world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you created a uh, co-founded a company called Vision Pursue. Am I, is this sound accurate? Am I on the <laughs> you're, right? You're spot on. <laughs> you're, you're nailing it. <laughs> Maybe I did a little research. Right. So talk to us about Vision Pursue, uh, what, what it is and how it came to you. Yeah. So, so, so Vision Pursue was, or the principles behind Vision Pursue, I'll start with, was born out of my experience in the NFL, uh, a lot of the struggles, the adversity that I faced, uh, and getting to the end of my NFL career and looking back on it and realizing that in a lot of ways I was ill-equipped to handle uh, the, uh, the stress, uh, the, uh, the mental hurdles that go with the mastery process and then competing at that level. At the same time, I had certain elements that did help me achieve. And I'm fortunate to have a really great support system growing up. And you know, I knew how to work hard. I was determined. You know, I, I had some of those skills, but Towards the end of my career, I became aware of these other skills uh, that I was really deficient in, and, and no one had brought them to my attention. I didn't even know that they existed, really, um, to be honest with you. So, so that coupled with retiring because of concussions, had way too many concussions, so I'm, I'm concerned about my long-term brain health, kind of gets me into neuroscience, trying to figure out, okay, we're, in just this seven, eight years ago, we're learning a ton about the brain and realizing that what we used to think we knew about the brain was completely wrong. Sure. Uh, and, and the neuroscience got me into more of health psychology and some more of that relationship between the mind, the brain, and the body, which was fascinating. Uh, and then that kind of got me back a little bit back into performance psychology. And so I, I just became fascinated by everything mindset related. Uh, and I, I couldn't get enough. I was just soaking up as much as I could. Uh, and as I began to learn more and then practice some of these, we call them mental skills, it was transformational for me. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, fortunately, or very serendipitously, I met my business partner and he had already begun creating a mindset training program for the corporation he was at. And as we developed a friendship uh, and got deeper and deeper into this, uh, it just made made sense for us to partner up and, and develop a, a training system and then eventually a technology uh, to help address some of those deficient mental skills we see, especially for peak performers. Sure. So just to level set expectations, because uh, we started this whole thing by saying that you are potentially one of the smartest individuals in any room. You then uh, leveraged your false humility by saying, I'm never that individual. And then in your description of Vision Pursue, you just referenced probably three words that I've heard in conversation probably three times throughout the course of this year. <laughs> Serendipitously, <laughs> neuroscience. <laughs> that is self-incriminating. I'll tell you, I, I'm really not that smart. I just study a lot. Okay. That's, yeah, I, I'm well-studied. We'll That's that fair, way. and I respect it. Uh, and specifically, I respect it because I assume that you're one of these individuals that people— I'm only speaking from my own personal experience, can't get enough of. Like you are, 
you're a beacon of energy for a lot of people, but not in the sense of what uh, some perceive energy to be. Like, not news to you, I'm a lot. <laughs> and uh, I fill the room. Which I appreciate. Well, thank way. you. Yeah. Uh, but also can be overwhelming to some. My energy is different from your energy. The energy that you provide people is you give them the opportunity to think and reflect and be present and deliberate. And you're fantastic at providing guidance on how to do it. One of the reasons why uh, I wanted you to be on this podcast is because fundamentalism is all about the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. And uh, recently it came to me that one of the biggest challenges to having more fun in life and to people that struggle with anxiety or depression or what's not working is we can't get out of our own way. And specifically, we spend so much time in our head that we, we overthink things and we convince ourselves that it's not that simple or whatever it may be. So one of the fundamentals for me of a fun and optimistic lifestyle um, consistently reminds me of you because that fundamental is called a new spin. So every stage, whether it's a, a one-hour keynote or you know a three-day workshop, I talk about this fundamental of putting a new spin on the things that you do every single day. Let me give you an example. So um, John, name something that you would do every single day. Uh, brush my teeth. You brush your teeth. So th- this is obviously, you. Did, <laughs> that's a perfect le- lead in. Okay. So a lot of people brush their teeth every single day. And you actually taught me this. Um, how many of you listening have ever brushed your teeth with the opposite hand? That's something that you really truly have to think about. Mm-hmm. And when you're thinking about that, when you're putting a new spin on uh, things that you do every single day, what that challenges you to do is get off of the junk that's holding you back. You might still be in your head, but now you're thinking of something completely different and not necessarily bogged down by what brings you down. So uh, another example that comes up regularly is email. Oh, we work so many emails. Well, new spin on email. Uh, What if instead of opening your email first thing, you realize that the leadership walk and your people is where you truly found value in connecting? So maybe instead of opening your email first, you go and you do a leadership walk. Mm. Instead of saying, hey, how was your night or how's your day? You ask something more monumental and meaningful, like what's the best thing that happened to you last night? Or one of my favorites is, uh, hey, John, have you ever read emails aloud in the voice you perceive them to be in your head? Yeah, I'm sure I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so again, that's a new spin on email. So coming back to you and what really, really connected me with your topic is I know that you have created a whole business strategy around being more deliberate in these activities and being mindful about you know the things that give you strength and getting out of your head and thinking more deliberately about what you want and how to make it happen. So talk to us a little bit about mindfulness, what it means to you, and how you're, you're helping facilitate that in the workspace. Yeah, well, that's a great question. And there's all kinds of different angles we could, we could take with them. Mindfulness is such a huge topic. I want all uh, of the angles. You want all the angles. <laughs> Well, I, I think I always like to start with uh, um, first just asking the question, why? Like, wh- why, why is mindfulness, why is there a movement behind mindfulness? Why has it become more popular? How does it fit into uh, the bigger picture of, of mental skills training? Uh, and so, so for, for me, um, the practice of, of, of mindfulness goes back to um, wanting to have more control over how I construct meaning for my experience. Mm. Uh, and you referenced sort of this this um, automatic thinking that's happening, right? Sometimes it's referred to as mind wandering, and there's an automatic component to our intelligence uh, 
uh, that serves up automatic thoughts and emotions for us all the time, right? And it's a part of our intelligence that's trying to help us, is trying to serve us. Uh, and sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. Right? Sure. And and so so mindfulness is is a, a particular way of paying attention, um, both to what's going on internally and being able to respond more intelligently to this automatic part of our intelligence. Um, and then also being able to pay attention in a particular way to what you're you're doing. And and you've mentioned it a couple of times already of being deliberate and being intentional with your with your actions. And so a lot of times, and I, I found this in my NFL career and, and through the majority of my life, it was really easy to fall into this just automatic default pilot program or system, right? Uh, and we think that we're calling the shots, but we're really not. We think we're making decisions, but we're really not. This part of our brain is doing it for us. Sure. Right. And, and Autopilot. And, exactly. And so, and it's uh, it, based on genetics, it's based on past experience. It's just the program that we have. And so the more ways that we can interrupt that program, uh, the more control we, we begin to have. And then what happens is I have a lot more control over than how I experience a moment. Mm. And that's really important because most people are really at the mercy of their external world. Their circumstances are dictating their internal state, which by definition is a victim mindset, right? For sure. Uh, and so, so we walk around through life and it's natural for us to make excuses and blame other people and blame situations. And whether that's true or not, bottom line is we lose our power, mm. right? And so mindfulness is a really great skill learning how to take back our power, take back control over how we experience a moment, how we construct meaning from that experience, and then choose an intelligent response based on that. Dude, um, I get so geeked up about this stuff. I can't help it. Obviously, I'm looking at Larry because Larry and I have had these conversations for hours and hours and hours on end. What's amazing is these types of conversations, they give me so much strength. But at the same time, we were talking about this before, it's so exhausting. Like if you if you really get into self-discovery mode and those interrupters that you referenced and trying to figure out uh, how to be more deliberate and what's getting in my way, it, it could be very, very exhausting and something that you have to overcome and push through to really get to this place where you you are more deliberate and you understand your role in creating the outlook that you see. One of the things that you said that really resonated with me is that, that victim's mentality. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Connecting to Life Through Fun. Fun is an acronym. Uh, gave you the book, so hopefully you get yeah, the opportunity to leave wait. that Amazon review. <laughs> Shout out. Um, the F stands for foundation. And one of the first things that we talk about in the, uh, the foundational aspect of fun is defining your mentality. And specifically, it's not as simple as this, but I think that we could boil it down to, to some aspect of it. Are you a victim or are you a victor? And what I found is it doesn't matter if you, if you consistently have a victor's mentality, we all falter. Mm-hmm. We, all, we all step back and we all get to the space where you're like, oh crap, you know, this isn't going the way that I planned it to or whatever. And all of a sudden you slip up and you're feeling the victim. Right. It is my belief that the difference between a victim and a victor is as simple as short-term memory. And what I mean by that. And I think that you just kind of validated it for me, feeding my own narrative. I'd love to hear your perspective. Okay. Um, short-term memory. It doesn't matter whether uh, everything's going fantastic or not. Everybody in this world is, has seen some aspect of heartache. And it's inevitable that we'll see additional heartache. Mm. The difference between a victim and a victor's mindset is realizing that in these, these, these times of anxiety or strife or depression or, or challenge or whatever it may be, 
taking the time to first of all learn from it, reflect. Why is this happening? How did I how did I get myself into this situation? What what role did I play in getting here? Taking that as a learning opportunity to grow, but then ultimately move past it and gravitate towards something that gives you strength. That's fundamentalism to me. To hear you say it, that's an interrupter. Like you're trying to get to the interrupter. So define interrupters and what are they? From a mindfulness perspective, what are the types of things that we could be doing to interrupt those thoughts? Yeah, so, so there's there's a number of different techniques you can use, um, and I like to think of them the interrupters also as anchors. Okay, right? kind of kind of what what anchors you because uh, it's really easy to yeah get get tossed around by the storm of life uh, and get caught up in in all of that, get caught up in the story, get caught up in all the emotions that it creates, and so how am I going to anchor myself right? And so a really common one in mindfulness is the breath, right? It's it's, a, it's a, using different breathing techniques, bring your attention to the breath, a body scan. You know, check it in with with how I'm feeling in this moment, right? Mm. And check it in with how how my body feels, and and all these what these are doing is they're interrupting the analytical part of my intelligence, and that analytical part of our intelligence uh, is very critical, but it's also very limited. It thinks in terms of linear time, so past and future, and it also thinks in language, so it's attaching word symbols to thoughts, and then it starts to tell that story. So that analytical mind it becomes overly dominant for most, and it becomes the only lens through which we can really see and perceive the world. And so the, the mindfulness interrupters or anchors help interrupt that, help give us some space, right? And also um, help us recognize that it's not us, right? That we don't have to be a character trapped in that story. We can become more of a storyteller in that. So uh, the present moment is a really common right? interrupter, just checking in. My sensory perceptions, what I can see, taste, smell, touch here uh, in the present moment. Uh, sometimes thought watching, um, different mantras can be helpful, uh, so there's all kinds of ways, and, you, and the more you play around with it, you kind of figure out what works best for you. Uh, but those are really, really critical mental skills um, to develop mental toughness, develop resilience, particularly when there's adversity um, that we're facing. So these are all things that if uh, I, as a potential client, hire Vision Pursue to come in and work with my organization, you would actually take us through exercises uh, like this to potentially focus ourselves and provide these interrupters? Is that an accurate assessment? Yes, yeah, so we would do some. Our mobile app would deliver most of that training. So, so our, our 10-week training program covers 10 uh, core mental skills. Uh, one of those is, is mindfulness. Uh, and so uh, we do about eight hours of training over those 10 weeks and, and break it up uh, depending on what the company needs. And then uh, the individuals that are participating commit to daily work on the mobile app. And that daily work is really critical for uh, preparing the brain for, for behavioral change uh, and also just creating a system right, to, to follow. Uh, so level six is where we introduce mindfulness. And we do that very intentionally. We find that most people are not ready for a mindfulness practice until about six weeks mm. of other mental skills training. Sure. So for about six weeks, we're, we're laying a foundation and teaching other skills that they can then stack a mindfulness skill on top of. Uh, so it takes about six weeks before we see that they're really ready for that. So that's crazy and a perfect example of how assumptions and judgments could get in the way of uh, true, truly meaningful interactions. I come in... Uh, with an idea, I told you that um, laws of engagement or rules of engagement or there are no rules of engagement. And I immediately take us down this mindfulness journey because I've kind of pigeonholed you to believe that that's the space in which you work. I pigeonholed myself to believe that's the space in which you work. That's not until level six. Yeah. Talk to me about levels <laughs> one through five. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, so, so level one uh, is an introduction to basic mental skills training. And it's also an introduction to neuroscience and what creates a great life experience. 
So, so most people don't realize uh, that they get uh, kind of sucked into this uh, system, a way of thinking uh, where as long as I, if, or if I can create the ideal circumstances, then I get to have the life that I've always dreamed of. Right. So we create this causal relationship with life, this um, dependency where if I only do X so I can get Y. Sure. Right. Makes I'm, I, sense. I'm literally there right now, like working as a executive director, call center operations, farmers insurance, making uh, more money than I needed, had a good house, just had a baby, just got married. I had everything that society told me would, would make me happy. Right. Are we on the right Absolutely. Path? Absolutely. I wasn't happy. Yep. Because the brain doesn't work that way. Sure. But the system that's been created for us in our culture conv- tries to convince us that that is the answer. 100%. Right? So so the first thing we have to do is, is understand how the brain works, understand what creates a great life experience. And so we use uh, the work and research of Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, uh, New York Times bestselling author, neuroscientist, really amazing, one of the most popular TED Talks of all time, uh, by the way, but really amazing research into the two different hemispheres of the brain. And she goes into the analytical part of the, the brain versus the experiential. Um, and how in our society, especially peak performers, tend to have an overly dominant analytical part of their intelligence. Uh, and then that becomes the only way through which they can experience the world. And the analytical part of our intelligence, its job is to convert everything into a stressful means to an end. Because right? wow. that's how we get stuff done. And For that's sure. its job. And what we've done is we've disconnected from the experiential mind, which is always having a great life experience. It's yeah. always having fun. Right. Right. Because it's in the present moment. Right. It's just enjoying life. And it's not worried about the past. It's not anxious about the future. Right. It's just... In living life in living the moment. the experience, 100%. Now, what's important is you need both, right? Yes. <laughs> you don't want to have two extremes, yeah. one or the other. And you want to have the ability to d- determine which part of your brain you want to operate from. Sure. Right? In a more balanced approach. So that's that's the foundational level. Uh, level two, we get into awareness, which is uh, recognizing I'm not my automatic brain. And my automatic brain has all kinds of, of tendencies to it. It has some strengths and weaknesses. Um, but I want to begin to create some space between it and me. Uh, and as I do that, I get more control over it. So we go into some different awareness techniques. Um, each of these levels is a week of training uh, that we do in the app. Uh, level three, we get a meditation, uh, which is simply learning how to pay attention. We've lost the ability to pay attention to what we want to pay attention to. Right Now, it's really easy to pay attention to what our automatic brain wants to pay attention to. So I tell people, everyone on the planet is a great meditator. Sure. Everyone on the planet. Think about the last time you binge watched your favorite show on Netflix. Yeah, right? you're like a Buddhist monk on that couch, just soaking it <laughs> up, right? For sure, you're meditating. Yeah. Now, the difference between the the actual practice of meditation is that I'm going to take my attention away from what my automatic brain cares about, right? Wow. So I'm going to consciously choose to pay attention to something. It doesn't matter what, anything that my emotional automatic brain doesn't care about, and it's it doesn't like that, right? Because it wants to be in control of our attention. Sure. And what's most important about meditation is that we're our attention goes, energy flows, right? And sometimes our automatic brain is caring about things that are aligned with our values and priorities. Sometimes it's not. And if it's in control of our attention, then we're giving energy, we're giving life to things that maybe aren't aligned with our values and and priorities, things we really care about. So taking back control of our attention is really, really important. So before we transition out of meditation, I want to revisit uh, level two, which I think is awareness Awareness. real quick, right? So um, consistently here, Paul, John, everything that you're saying, it makes sense. I agree with what you're saying. It's not that simple. Like you don't understand. My family, my DNA, the situation, my lack of money, my experience in life, it has created what I'm living and I cannot get out. From what I'm hearing you say, is it your belief 
that no matter what you've experienced, no matter how you're wired, no matter what you've been through and what you'll continue to go through, you have some aspect of control in your thoughts and the experience in which you live? So assuming that, yes, we've been introduced to, to some of these mental skills, so someone's taught us how to do that, then, then yes. Um, I also preface that by saying, you know, if someone's in an abusive relationship, like there's some extreme examples sure. where, right, uh, it's just, it, it, it does, it's not going to matter. But assuming that, that um, circumstances are such that uh, you're relatively safe, you have access to connection and survival, basic survival needs, um, then yes, yes, we have a lot more control over how we experience a moment than most people realize. For sure. That's what yeah. Travis Kelsey said is own it in one of our previous uh, podcast episodes. Yeah. So uh, moving from awareness to meditation, now on to level four. Yeah, level four, so we get into emotions. Okay. Uh, so this is just like the automatic brain serving up automatic thoughts. It's creating a story. It's talking all the time, all the chatter, right? So in, in level two, we begin to separate from the automatic thoughts. Now in level four, we begin to separate from the emotion. Uh, and that's really, really important because emotion is what drives behavior. 100%. Right? So our thinking mind doesn't drive behavior, our emotional brain, and that's really our automatic brain drives behavior. What most people don't realize is that we're not thinking beings that feel, we're feeling beings that think. Mm. So everything runs through our limbic region of the brain first, our emotional center of the brain first, and then it comes to our conscious awareness already laced with emotion. So another part of our intelligence, our automatic brain has already determined for us, judged for us, whether something is good or bad or someone's good or bad or whether this moment is meaningful or insignificant. So we want to be able to take back control over that. And the way we do that is begin to respond differently to our emotions. So I don't know if you're like me. What I was taught growing up is that there's really bad emotions and I want to avoid those. There's really good emotions and I want to feel those all the time. Sure, for sure. Which is an extremely dysfunctional relationship with emotion because all emotion is really good and that it's a signal. It's a message. Mm -hmm. Just like physical pain. Right, and physical pleasure. Those are really good uh, signals, messages for us, so we can engage with the world more productively. Sure. Right, emotional pain and discomfort, and emotional pleasures are the same thing. We've never been taught though how to respond to it, and respond. The response plan is by far the most important thing. So we teach a three-step response plan. Uh, it's an acronym called C: separate, embrace, evaluate. And that, as you practice that, that becomes the way that you respond to emotion, kind of your new operating system. So you separate from the emotion. It's a temporary chemical experience. Then you're going to embrace the emotion. This is where the magic happens. It's also the hardest part because we avoid discomfort and pain at all costs. So now we're going to learn how to move into the pain, the emotional discomfort, because uh, it's there to help us. It's a friend, right? Sure. A lot of people, like for me, when I before big games, I'd get a ton of performance anxiety. I didn't want to feel that, right? I wanted to feel confident. I wanted to feel different. And so I would resist that stress. I'd resist that anxiety. And then what happens is I'm piling emotion on top of emotion. Sure. And then I get myself all worked up and then I'm too geeked up. Right. And then I don't always play as well as I want to because I'm, I'm, I'm overactivated the stress, the stress response. Sure. So, so these skills just help you learn how to, to manage that stress response. So embrace is really, really important. And then finally, once you've separated and embraced the emotion, then you can evaluate what's controllable, what's productive. Use the um, logical brain. Exactly. Yep. So from, um, I don't know if you've seen this, but are you familiar with the speaker, Mel Robbins? I've heard of her. Yeah. Yeah. So she's now got her own TV show. She's doing really, really big things. And uh, I recently saw an IG video of hers where she was talking about how she used to get a lot of anxiety before she went on stage. Mm -hmm. Um, Very similar to what you just said and performance anxiety. But then she went on to say that um, the emotion uh, and that feeling of anxiety is the exact same as the emotion or feeling of excitement. 
And so what, what we perceive to be stress or anxiety could also at the same time just be excitement for whatever you're going to do. Of course, we justify it in our head because we start to say, well, what could go wrong? Or, oh my gosh, what if I don't perform at a high level? Right. But, but that feeling of excitement and anxiety, they kind of go hand in hand. And so to your point, uh, once you embrace that emotion and you evaluate from a logical perspective, where are you coming from and what's going to be the most beneficial to move you forward? Um, easier said than done, right? That's where people start making excuses and justifying their, their mentality or whatever. And that's where I think the separation comes. That's why it's, it's, it's the foundational principle of C. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you, you've got to practice it. You got to practice it, especially with lesser emotion. Uh, Cause when I like to use Mike Tyson's quote, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we all, this, this sounds great in theory. You and I are sitting here talking, yes. right? But if someone comes in here and criticizes us or, you know, Talks about our business. We negatively. start peacocking. Exactly right, <laughs> and so, and so th- th- that's where the, the work gets done. Um, but yes, once once you have a, a response plan in place, the brain calms down, and it's not releasing the chemicals on top of the chemicals. You get the message, you respond to it, and then you're able to move on. Mm. So you had mentioned that obviously this has been a journey for you. You didn't have all the yeah. answers, and still don't, and probably never will. Right. But you had mentioned that um, when you when you retired from your football career you realized that there was a lot of things that you weren't necessarily good at and that you were never trained. What were some of these things that you identified in yourself that kind of gave you this epiphany that there was a, there was a niche that you could fill for others? Yeah, it, it really was, was born out of uh, how, how was it that I got to live my childhood dream, right? Played football at Kansas State for Coach Bill Snyder, 10-year NFL career, and for most people that don't maybe don't know my career, walked on at Kansas State, didn't have a lot of uh, options, not a lot, 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 not a lot of scholarship opportunities coming out, uh, and so really wasn't was sort of that underdog story. Became, became a starter at K State, second round draft pick to the Jets, ten years in the NFL. Why didn't it feel better than it it did? Right? Mm. Why why was the experience uh, such a poor experience overall? Now there were some really good parts of the of NFL course, and, and, right. and a lot of really great relationships, et cetera. But what I realized was that I, I had, without realizing, unconsciously created uh, two conditions for happiness in my life when I was playing ball. One was I had to be playing really well, and the second was we had to be winning games. Hmm. And as long as those two conditions were being met, then I was in a really great place, and I was a very mentally tough human being. Sure, right? sure. But if after a bad practice or a bad game, or if we were having a losing season, uh, it was having a much larger impact on me than it should have. Now, should should it create some emotional lows for, for us when we fail and we're not as successful except absolutely but it was having too big of an impact on me and so i'm sitting there thinking okay well a lot of my teammates were having a similar experience that i was so uh what's what's the solution here and and i just began to realize that i i lacked a lot of the mental skills we're talking about right now i just i lacked those i I lacked the awareness i lacked the ability to pay attention um i lacked the emotional intelligence um, I lacked um, an understanding of, of the automatic brain and, and my own personal inner workings, kind of my, my personality and what I was programmed with. Sure. Great parts of that and the not so great parts of that and how to respond to those. So th- those are the areas where I, I felt like I be, became aware that I was really deficient. Uh, and I still to this day, I'm a little surprised that I was never introduced to this sooner, sure. uh, which is why uh, it made sense to to maybe go out and share this with, with yeah, people. for sure, and have done obviously super well. I mean, you've piqued my interest, and and Larry's over there taking notes. I see him, um, but ultimately, I think that what you just described um, and what we learn through experience and not taught, I think there's 
there's a million topics like that. Like I think to um, the success or, you know, albeit minimal to this day that I've had thus far over the course of the last two years, that I could really boil it down to showing a genuine interest in others and creating meaningful experiences. And that oftentimes means that you have to try to remove your ego from any situation. Nobody taught that in school. Nobody, my parents didn't teach that. It's not something that was ever top of mind growing up. And it was only in that, that epiphany moment like you had once you, you know, got out of uh, professional football that you're like, oh, crap, like I got to figure this out. And mm-hmm. I found that that is a true differentiator for me, just as though your, your now story and mindfulness journey is for you. So did we go through all the levels? <clears throat> We we haven't yet. We can keep going. Let's go. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so so level five, we get into judgment, expectations, and control. Oh, I'm really familiar with judgment, expectations, <laughs> okay. and control. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is much more of a, a cognitive behavioral uh, approach. So we, we go into understanding how the automatic brain creates snap judgments about what's good or bad, what's right or wrong. Who what's, you like, who you don't like. Exactly, yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and what we begin to realize is that the, the limitations of our, our sensory perceptions and our perspectives, we just don't have all the facts to always jump to those conclusions, right? And so there's a, a common practice in a lot of the major world religions uh, around non-judgment, right? Or the, just the ability to st- take a step back and say, I don't have all the facts. I can't see the big picture. I don't know how this is going to work out. And so I can just back off a little bit on the judgment. And what that does is it takes us off that emotional volatility train. Sure. One of my favorite quotes is, if you wish to see the truth and hold no opinion for or against. That's right. right? That's right. Absolutely. So really, really important skills. We start introducing that, practicing that. Uh, then we get into expectations, managing our own expectations. So think about your customers or your vendors, your family even. If you set expectations for them, they know what to expect. Their automatic brain is going to respond much more favorably, even if there's bad news, right? We have to do the same thing for our automatic brain. And we have to help manage our, our, our expectations in the near term. And what often happens is we create unrealistic expectations. And so there's this constant frustration and disappointment because the world's not meeting my expectations. Sure. And so it's fine to have big, high expectations for the future, but in the near term, I want to be able to manage that. So that difficult thing that your spouse has been doing or that annoying thing they've been doing for the last few years, tomorrow they're still probably going to keep doing for it. For sure. Right? And, and you're I, still going to be hyper aware and hypersensitive to it. Exactly. So it's expected it's going to tweak you, but also sure. expected it's going to happen. And what it does just calms the brain down mm-hmm. so it doesn't have to respond the same way. And then we get into control. One of my, one of my favorite uh, um audits that we do in, in our training is we go through the whole list of things, right? And, and, and participants diagnose the things that they have control over, the things they don't have control over, the areas where they have a lot of influence. And then we throw it all up there and we look in, in where our automatic brain is, is driving most of our, our time and energy. And what we see is that it's, we spend most of our time concerned with and consumed with things that we don't have control over. Mm. And we compromise the few things in life that we really do have control over. So that's, that's an aha moment a lot of times. And, and there's different, in every level, there's, a, there's an opportunity for people to get introduced to their automatic brain where they begin to recognize, wow, that's not me. Mm-hmm. And wow, that's doing some things that are not super productive. Sure. So that, that's one of those levels. So, so that's level five. Once they've got that foundation, all, all the ones, levels we talked about, now we introduce mindfulness. Because what we found for, for mindfulness is, one, I want to be able to have a response plan for emotion. Two, I got to be able to practice that suspension of judgment, right? And the suspension of expectations. And what that does, it begins to quiet the analytical mind. And as I do that, I now get to engage the experiential mind and I get to do it consciously. So most people uh, have never really consciously moved into a mindful moment. Circumstances dictate it. Mm. So when I was playing ball, 
and I ran out into Arrowhead in front of 70,000 people, I was very mindful. Sure. Right? Because right. the situation dictated it for me. Yes. Right? Or we have a couple of glasses of wine or a couple of beers, right? Yeah. It's a depressant, quite the analytical mind, and allows us to engage the experiential. The wifey bats her eyelashes at you. That's right. <laughs> and then we look around and we're like, that's, wow. This oh, it's go time. Okay, get it. <laughs> It's a different experience, right? Sure. So all we're doing is we're changing our internal chemistry, but we're also quieting the analytical and engaging the experiential. So the conscious practice of mindfulness is paying attention in a particular way to the experience of this moment without that judgment, without the expectation, without the analytical analyzing and naming and labeling and judging, all the stuff that it's doing all the time. We quiet that and we get to have an experience in the moment that's very different than we're used to having. Mm. So, so that's where they, we, now we really begin to introduce that practice and introduce all kinds of ways that we can practice mindfulness, right? Because you can do it sitting, having a quiet mindfulness meditation, but you can also do it brushing your teeth or sure. driving to work. You can do anything mindfully. So without putting yeah. you on the spot, because you had mentioned that a lot of your mindfulness exer- exercises come through the app, yeah. obviously prior to that, you have to give some examples. In the skills transfer process, you explain, then you demonstrate, then you practice, right? Yeah. And so they, they, they're they there with some coaching, and you kind of introduce the topic and potentially walk them through. Give me an example of an exercise that you might take us through as an introduction to mindfulness. Yeah, absolutely. So, so something I would do in, in a training, uh, assuming everyone's there and, and can participate, uh, is first just have people check in with, for example, their feet on the floor. Just okay. Feel your feet on the floor. Notice your shoes. Notice your socks. Notice the contact on the floor. Take your attention there. And then see how long until your mind wanders. And wandering now. Yep. And when it <laughs> wanders, that's okay. You just bring it back. And then your mind's going to wander again. And you're going to notice it. And then you're going to bring it back. And you're going to bring it back to the sensation of your feet on the floor. And every time you do that, it's a mental rep. You're strengthening that neuropathway. What most people do is their mind wanders and they think, well, this isn't working or I'm horrible at this. And so they quit Mm. versus realizing that mind wandering is a fantastic thing. It's actually an important part of our intelligence, but we just want to be able to bring it back to what we're paying attention to. So then I'd have them maybe take their attention to their hands and notice the sensation in their hands. And then take their attention to their face, notice their forehead, their cheeks. And again, we're just looking for the sensation, whatever you can feel or experience in that moment. Then I might have them take their attention to their breath. Notice how it's happening on its own. Take their attention to the sounds in the room. You're trying to avoid a lot of naming and labeling and judging here. You're just trying to be a curious observer of it. Then I like to go into some thought watching where you just become the observer of your thoughts. And even if you can't separate from the conversation just yet, I like to begin to slow down the conversation. So whatever narrative is taking place, just begin to slow down the conversation in your head and begin to notice the space in between the words and try to talk slower and slower and notice more of that space. And then bring your attention back to me. So really, really simple techniques, right? Uh, you can get in some breathing techniques, some body scan stuff I mentioned. Uh, thought watching is a really great one. Uh, all kinds of ways. And again, just just opportunities to interrupt the chatter. Dude, I uh, so probably not uh, something that surprises you at all that uh, my, my mind wanders often. <laughs> um, and often, you know, I am so uh, drawn to conversations like this. 
and enamored with individuals that are really in tune with the human spirit and the mind and things like mm-hmm. that, um, that oftentimes I just, I, I got a million questions and I just want to, and so especially when I'm in podcast mode and interview mode, I'm thinking about deliberately listening to what you're saying and then uh, figuring out a conscious way to leverage that point to transition to the next topic. And that was a really delightful interrupter uh, to that process for me. Like you literally just, uh, if you're listening, um, rewind it if you did not just go through that exercise. Because what John just did, I did with him. I shut my eyes. I focused my attention on my feet uh, firmly on the floor. And then my attention came to my hands all the way to my face, my breath. I did every single thing that he was talking about, and my my mind did wander. And what really surprised me about what you said, it, it, it kind of parallels to what you said earlier in your definition of meditation. We have, I have in my head, I won't speak for our listeners, but this idea that meditation is shutting it all off. Mm. And you just said meditation is binge watching a Netflix show. It's whatever is an interrupter. And then I took that point and equated it to mind wandering. If your mind is wandering, your mind wandering could be an interrupter to all the shit, excuse my language, that I'm currently, you know, embattled in or or struggling with. So thank you for taking that uh, opportunity to walk me specifically through it. And again, listeners, if you didn't do that, rewind uh, and, and feel uh, the sensation that comes along with, with just being present and aware and talking through the chatter and embracing these moments that you feel like are really potentially challenging you to move forward in your day, when rather, if you just embrace them, you might find that it is easier to move forward in your day. So now have we covered all the levels? Not yet, but I I don't (laughs) want to take up too much of your time. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, man, uh, one of the things that um, I wanted to make sure that we covered, and I referenced this earlier, when Larry and I get into these really deep conversations, it can be exhaustive. Mm. And then you start to convince yourself that, man, there's, there's just too much there, so much there, I can't overcome it. What advice would you give to individuals that are really struggling and getting out of their head or getting in their own way and they don't know what the next step is and being mindful or being present or cutting out the chatter? What advice would you give to those individuals? Yeah, two words, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it really is, and, and I, I find myself doing this right because you think about going through a typical work day, and you've got your to do list, you're knocking it out, and you're trying to go through it as quickly as you can, and it's easy to get overwhelmed, right? Uh, just because you're trying to go fast, you're trying to knock them out, and you'll feel that little that internal consternation, that uh, frustration, that annoyance, right? And all that does is make you want to go faster, right? For sure, because I, I, you get that dopamine hit when you check that thing off your yeah, to do list, and you're chasing that dopamine hit. Uh, but if you, if you really want to to begin to in a simple way, right? If you don't want to go through our, for example, our ten week training program, <laughs> and you want to very very simply begin to practice this, just slow down what you're doing and make what you're doing right now your primary purpose. Mm. Most people, what they do is they confuse their secondary purpose for their primary purpose. I'll give you an example: when you get in your car and you drive somewhere, for most people, their primary purpose is to get where they're driving. For sure. Right? What that does is it converts driving into, at best, right, a checkout time where it just a secondary mind thought. Wander, That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mind wander the whole time. At worst, it becomes a stress-inducing, right, um, time in my day. Sure. Right. And and the reason is because what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm overvaluing 
my secondary purpose, the destination. And then what that does is it marginalizes my primary purpose, which is what I'm doing right now. And it also takes the fun out of everything that I do. My man. Right? Uh, and so whenever you're doing something and you're feeling that, that stress, more than likely you're trying, your primary focus is on getting it done. Secondary purpose is getting it done. And that's fine. We, we, those are really important. But if I can say, what's my primary purpose right now? What it does is it redirects, reorients my attention, right? The quality I bring to what I'm doing right now goes up. Hmm. And usually it also introduces a little more passion and purpose and sometimes even fun in what I'm doing. And sometimes I can, you can experience that even with mundane, boring tasks. Like one of my favorite things is to do to practice this is laundry. I get going and laun- I'm doing laundry at home. And I just want to get it done. You right? know how many people right now are like, laundry, what? I'm, I'm telling you. These, bring it. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> these seemingly mundane, boring tasks yes. are our training ground. Okay. The best time to try. Driving, another great example. Okay. And I'll, I'll feel it, right? Because I just want to get this done. I want to get through it. And I'll slow down. I'll ask myself internally, what's my primary purpose? Now, my primary purpose in life right now is to crush this laundry. Like to be the best, <laughs> the best I don't know. Laundry, folder? Folder of laundry? Launderer? What's that? Is that, is that a word? <laughs> no. Well, if we come up with it, let me know. But right. whatever that person is, I want to be the best yes. at it, right? Uh, and, so, and when I do that, almost every time, at, at, at best, it becomes a neutral non-event, right? Sure. I'm, I'm sorry. At worst, it becomes a neutral non-event. Okay. At best, it becomes a really enjoyable activity. Right. right? That you crushed. That I crushed that laundry, right? <laughs> and, and it reminds me, one of my favorite quotes, and I, I, I share it often when I, when I speak and when I train his Dr. Martin Luther King street sweeper quote. Maybe you've heard it before. I have not. But he, he said it like this. He said, even if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, go out and sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, mm. like Handel and Beethoven composed music, like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets in such a way that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, there lived a great street sweeper who did their job well. Right? And so when I'm in those moments... When I'm doing that laundry, like I want to be a street sweeper in that moment. For sure. Right? Like, cause that's my primary purpose. And we get going so fast in life, and then we miss out on a lot of life because we're always trying to get to the next thing. Mm. Right. And we miss out on those moments and it also diminishes the quality we bring to those moments. Right. And then we're not connecting with people, we're not connecting with life in meaningful ways. Then we go through life and we're just empty. Right. And it's because we're trying to get to the next thing too fast. And it's fine to have a vision, fine to have a plan, fine to have a goal for where we want to go personally, professionally. But we need to reorient ourselves back to our primary purpose, which is always the process of what we're doing. And in performance psychology, they call it process orientation, right? How do you get athletes and coaches to stop being so consumed with the outcome, right? The wins and losses and just really derive enjoyment and fulfillment from the, the, the game, from playing the game, right? For sure. So uh, that's, that's what I do. And it's a, re- it's a really helpful practice for me. Something that I could definitively implore in my life. So uh, what I took from that is uh, obviously the, the, the title for today's podcast now is Slow Down. And specifically, stop worrying about what's next, uh, what you're trying to do or where you're going to be, and focus on now what you are doing and being present and being the best damn street sweeper that you could possibly be. And kudos to you for having the courage to say that quote at every session because I don't think I could say street sweeper three times without butchering. <laughs> Takes some practice. <laughs> I bet it does. Hey, man, uh, I am enamored with you. Everything that you stand for, I could sit here and listen to you talk for hours and hours and hours on end. Um, thank you for taking the time out of your day to come down here and do this. If somebody wants to learn more about John McGrath, Vision Pursue, where do they go? 
yeah, visionpursue.com. A lot lot of good information there. Uh, Work a lot of corporate teams, uh, leadership teams, sales teams, and then, of course, sports teams. Uh, So, uh, yeah, please come check us out. Awesome. At one point in time, I know that your app was available for individuals, but I think that you've kind of segued solely into the corporate space. As an individual, is that accurate? Do I have access to anything that you do, or is it specifically targeted for organizations? Yeah, great question. Thank you. So so there is a consumer app available. We just don't tell people about it. (laughs) Okay, okay, fair enough. So never mind. (laughs) No, it's it's fine. You you go, go, you can download it. But just know that the, the, the app was designed to support our training. Okay. So it, it really works best in conjunction with our training, uh, but it is available in the app store. It's it's a great experience for, for a lot of people. Our consumer app is almost ready and, sure. and done. And so when, when that launches, then we'll really tell the world about it. Uh, but the, the, in its current form, uh, it's it's still a, a good experience. It's just not... Listen, uh, I could, I could as a facilitator, there. I could respect what you're saying. That's basically saying... Um, with hey, go play basketball without any level of coaching at all. So I understand the importance of establishing a uh, a solid understanding and foundation for the practice. Right. Makes complete sense to me. So John, thank you very much. Uh, slow down, everybody. Be present on what's going on. Um, embrace these interrupters. Uh, to draw a parallel to fundamentalism, those are, the interrupters are the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. Again, to be clear, you guys have heard me say this a million times. I'm not asking you to be me. I'm not asking you to be over the top. I'm not asking you to be overly energetic. I'm asking you to do the things that give you strength. Find interrupters into your day and your line of thinking. Be more present on what you have because ultimately that's going to equate to more joy, fun, and fulfillment in life. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, Again, I say this nearly every episode. The reason why I'm here is because you continue uh, to showcase that you find value in it. So thank you for your support. If you want to learn more about uh, John McGraw, go to Vision Pursuit. You want to learn more about fundamentalism, go to pauljlong.com or fundamentalism.com. I challenge you to go out today, slow down, create some fun in your life, and potentially in the lives of others. As always, we respect you, we love you, and deuces! 